Uh, Just a a couple scriptures as a recap from chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, 16, it said, Do you not know that when you present yourselves as, uh, excuse me, to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, you take a look at those two and you know that with the Jewish culture, it was all about the law. And they found themselves repeatedly breaking that law, stretching that law, compromising that law, rewriting that law to account for their sinful nature. So they were slaves to that law. But... This other one, the obedience resulting in righteousness, we can't be obedient without Jesus. Guys, there is no Christian walk without Jesus. So we were never meant to try to walk this walk without Christ. It's impossible to walk this walk without Jesus. It's impossible to walk it without the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And that's what Paul is kind of putting together and showing these two worlds, trying his best to not offend those that had been living by the law for so long, but helping them to understand it was incomplete. It was holy at the time. It was given by the Lord, but it was incomplete. It was meant to shine a light on God's mercy and grace when Jesus came. But the sad part of it is they're the ones that fought against Jesus so much because when you're raised by the law for so long and you think that God's love for you is dependent upon how many hoops you jump through and how well you jump through those hoops and you come along and you find that, God, that, uh, that Jesus is saying, hey, just give me your life and I'll show you grace and mercy and I'll forgive you of your old life and you can have a brand new one. When you've lived by the law for so long, you're going, that's too easy. But thank God that it's easy. Because if it was back to the law and jumping through hoops, none of us could do it. James says if we break one of them, we've broken what? We've broken all of them. And probably everyone in this church, and if you didn't, excuse me, you broke at least one of them coming to church this morning. All right? Or at least in the mind, in the heart, somewhere, a random, a random thought. He also says in Romans 6, 17, and 18, he says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin... You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now there's a difference between a slave that hates what he's doing and a slave that loves what he's doing. You've heard the term love slave. Don't take that in the wrong connotation. That's the true definition of a Christian is because we've fallen in love with Jesus. And we do what we do because of that love from Jesus. It's motivated out of a heart of love. Not a place of, well, I have to, but a a place of, I get to. And in a lot of marriages, they get to a place where it's motivated out of a, I have to. And that's when it starts to go sour. Instead of a place where I get to, I get to be with this person the rest of my life. I get to serve this person. I get to share my life with this individual. There's a vast difference between the two of those. He also said in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that word free is important. 
the free gift of God because you can't earn it. We can't earn it. That free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So he's going to continue this theme on in through chapter 7 as he illustrates this life and death, if you will, these two lives. Now, if you're the average Christian, and I don't know what that really is, but if you're a normal Christian, you realize that you have this dichotomy in you. There's almost like there's two people that live in you. And there's one that loves Jesus with all of your heart, that wants to do the absolute right thing all the time. And yet there's another that raises its head every once in a while and you do something dumb. You do something really foolish. And thank God for Jesus Christ. We're gonna explore that even a little bit more as we get going. Look at Romans chapter seven, verses one, two, and three. In Romans 7, verses 1, 2, and 3, he says, Do or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, so who would that be? The Jewish brethren. That the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, this takes on a meaning more than just what it first appears. There are all kinds of laws in nature. There are all kinds of things that we obey living through this life. But when we die, those are done. There's no more laws. Nothing that governs us except maybe the government might try to get some taxes out of you some way or another. Okay. For the married woman who is bound by law to her husband while, she, while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then after, excuse me, it's, so then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now that first part where it says, if, if, she, if he dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. The law, yes, but not the heart, right? Linda, you testify to that. Maybe the law, you're no longer, he's died, you're no longer, uh, the, the law no, no longer applies to him. But in the heart, you're still tied to them. But the point here that I'm trying to get across and he's trying to get across is the law only applies when you're alive. When you're dead, that's gone. It's not there. There is no betrayal or sin if she remarries. Because that commitment, that law that she had, was fulfilled. Okay. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through what? Through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. The law died with us when we became born again in Jesus Christ. No more hoops. No more hoops. If we're jumping through hoops because we think it's going to make God happy, we have the wrong heart. We may jump through some hoops because we like pleasing God. In fact, you will find yourself doing things that you normally would have never done because of your love for God. 
He places that Holy Spirit in us now and guides us through the Holy Spirit to, be, to try to be faithful and try to be loyal to God. Whereas before being filled with the Spirit of God, accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we could have cared less. Okay. So if we've died to that, guys, and I know a lot of you have come from religious backgrounds, very religious backgrounds. And every time we go through the book of Romans, I see this happen. You can almost hear the chains fall from people who have lived by those legalities all of their life. John Corson said, you'll never see a dead body in a courtroom trial. It's done, right? It's done. Therefore, the Jew was free to be joined to another one, right? Death, free to join to another one. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to tell his brethren, you did what you did, but you don't have to do that anymore. You can let that go and you can give your heart to Jesus Christ. And I need to say it even again, and that is, guys, some of you feel guilty all the time. I've I've talked to folks and I know that this is true. Depending on how you were raised, you feel guilty all the time. Something happens, something goes by, someone goes by, this happens, that happens, you get angry on the freeway and you immediately start beating yourself up. For some people, they wake up beating themselves up and it continues all day long. Jesus has set you free. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he has set you free. So, Let's move on to five and six. For while you were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of your body, your whole body, to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound. So, here's the cool part. You might want to underline this. So that we serve in a newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And I want to take a moment here to apologize to anyone if I've ever made you feel less than someone that God loves. If I've ever made you feel like you need to jump through hoops for my love, or for the love of Jesus. Never, never would I ever want to do that. But I don't want to dismiss the fact that I'm a sinner like everybody else. And I want to make sure that you don't feel that way because you have been set free in Jesus. We are free to serve Jesus Christ. Look at that newness of spirit. We're supposed to serve in a newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. What's the difference in those two? Freedom versus condemnation. Conviction, conviction's good, versus condemnation. In other words, we are free to serve in that newness of the Spirit. It should make us so excited and so happy to be able to live in that freedom. Because here's the freedom, guys. If you have Jesus Christ, you're going to live for eternity. There's no question in that. 
There's not like, well, if I'm good enough, I will make it. No, you're not good enough. Neither am I. None of us are. If you truly have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you and I are going to live eternally. Man, that is a freedom, isn't it? That is a a newness of the Spirit of God. We now serve because we love Him. We now serve because it's exciting to be involved in the things of God. Not because we have to. Love, not law. Look at verses, let's uh, go to verse seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, does does the law miss the mark? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Again, if it says 55 and you're going 60, you're sinning. Which we're probably all guilty of this <laughs> sitting here. I mean, we've all gone over the speed limit at one time or another. We have a tendency, at least I do, and that's to drive with the current. And half the time I don't even look at the, at the speedometer. The only time you look at the speedometer is when there's a cop. We draw, we draw back. So we're guilty, right? That makes not one of us better than the other one. We're, we're all in the same, the same place. He said, I would, have known, I would not have known about coveting if the law hadn't told me not to covet. If I see that speedometer that says 65 miles an hour and I am going 70, I, I, know, I know that. I know that I'm breaking the law. Sooner or later, I look down and I know that I'm breaking the law. And somewhere in my mind, I go, yeah, but not that much, right? I mean, don't they say you could go as much as maybe nine miles an hour over and they won't pull you over? I had a policeman friend or my family told me, if you don't go over, but we know it, right? We're caught. We're caught. We know it. In verse 8, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. When he told me not to covet, I found out that I was coveting a lot. You ever see a new car and you go, man, oh man, oh man, that's nice. And you see that 200 inch flat screen TV. Uh, they're not quite that big yet, but they're coming. And you go, man. Every time I walk into home, uh, not Home Depot, to Costco, and I see, you know, those, those, they have one out there now that's got like three big screens all tied together. I walked in and I told my wife, I said, I want one of those. <laughs> I'd be okay with the whole wall just being, you'd have to sit in the kitchen to be able to see, to see it, but. It says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. If there is no 55, if there is no 65, if there is no 75, if there's nothing posted, now we know it still is regulated by law. But the idea is if there is no limit given, you're not sinning. Right? But once the limit is set, once the law is set, now we know. And we are responsible for that knowledge. Verse 9, and once, 
And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died in verse 10. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death to me. In other words, the 55 or the 65, let's take the 65. Why did they put 65 there? To save your life. Right? We might think it's ridiculous. We might think, hey, this road could take at least 95. (laughs) But they put that there because it's to save lives. But the minute I go over it, I've broken what was meant for good. I've made it bad. Verse 11. For sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment sin would become what? Gross. Utterly sinful. So that sin would be out there like a sore thumb to where it couldn't be ignored. It would be so apparent that it is there. So he's saying the law wasn't sin. It was given by the Lord. Therefore it cannot be sin. But it was given to prove that you and I are sinners. And you know what? I don't think, I think this is safe to say, not one of us can say we're a bigger sinner than anybody else. Because James says, if you break one, <laughs> there you go. We're all sinners. Most of us saved by the grace of God. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, has deceived me. And through it, it killed me. When we accept the fact that we're sinners, I think it's a big step in us admitting, well, accepting our sinfulness, accepting that we're no better than anyone else. Because if we are all sinners, we're all in that classification, right? Where I grew up out in Peoria, we were all poor. We had a lot of things in common, right? When we accept that we're all sinners, we are a little less likely to judge each other when someone stumbles. We're a little less likely to think we're better than somebody else if they're going through a tough time or a tough thing. Humility is a good thing. And I think admitting that we all make mistakes is a good thing. So the law proved just how sinful we really are. St. Augustine in his book Confessions, he says that in his youth he and some buddies stole a bunch of pears from a tree that was close to their property. They ate a few of them because they really didn't want them, they just wanted to steal them. So they ate a few of them, gave the rest of them, gave the rest of them to the pigs because they didn't need them, they had better food at home. But it was the prohibition It was the thrill of breaking the law that made them want to do it. Isn't there just something, maybe not in all of you guys, but being from Missouri, it's it's like, you know, the show me state. It's like if so, when my mom would say, don't do this, there was just something inside of me that wanted to do it. 
You may have one, at least one child that you've raised that was the same way. If you told them not to do something, that's the very thing they wanted to do to prove that you are wrong. There's a little bit of that in us. 55, 65, I'll show them. This thing will do at least 95, so I'm... Don't do this. Well, I can do this. I can do this if I want to. And I'm going to do this. To quote Pastor David Guzik, in American history, we know that the Prohibition Act did not stop drinking. In many ways, it made drinking more attractive to people because of our desire to break boundaries set by the commandment. Once God draws a boundary for us, we are immediately enticed to cross that boundary, which is no fault of God or his boundary, but the fault of our sinful hearts, Adam and Eve. Need I say more? Stay away from that tree. Why? What is it about that tree? I bet you it's not as bad as they say enemy comes along, gives him a little help. He just doesn't want you to have knowledge. He's just trying to keep things from you. Go look at the tree. Just go look. You don't have to touch it. Just go look at it. There's just something in us. We want to see. We want to touch. We want to break. We want to do the other thing. Look at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage, into sin, and the bondage of that sin. I think that sometimes we can begin to think that we are really spiritual. (laughs) No, we're not. I believe that as we learn and we grow, we begin to understand what God requires of us and we mature, but we're always sinners saved by the grace and the mercy of God. That's the one thing that we've got to never forget. And there's people in that journey that are saved, but they're still learning and they're still growing and there's people in all different stages but Paul says we know that the law was spiritual but I am of the flesh this is the apostle Paul one of our heroes and he says I'm of the flesh and I've been sold into the bondage of sin wow John 3 verses 4 through 7 Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is already old? He cannot enter a a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? And Jesus answered and said, and truly, truly, when he puts two trulys there, you know, he's really trying to make a point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The natural birth and being born again. That which is born of the flesh is what? That which is flesh or born of the flesh is flesh. And we fight that every day. But that which is born of the spirit is of the spirit. Do not be amazed when I say to you, you must be 
born again. People used to use born again as a phrase of condemning Christians. Oh, you're a born again? Yeah, I am, and I'm happy about it. Oh, you're one of those. You're one of the the born agains. Well, yeah, exactly. And given my life to Jesus Christ, I was born in the flesh, but I've been born again. And Jesus is my daddy. So, the Apostle Paul is just confirming what's already been said in John 3. He's saying, I was simply born a man. I was born to earthly parents. I'm, an, I'm a fleshly man. I was born as a man. I was born in sin. Now, there's people who will deny they have a sin nature, but come on. <laughs> if you've been alive for more than five minutes, you know you have a sin nature. When that little baby is born, it's the most selfish individual on the planet. And if it wasn't so stinking cute, we'd probably sell them. And I don't, I don't mean that. I'm just joking. But they are, they're so selfish. All they do is eat, sleep, mess their diapers, and scream. And yell and demand that you take care of them. They provide nothing but love. I mean, but they don't really do anything. They're not a contributing citizen, you know, at this point. We're born into sin, guys. When you're raising your kids, they don't come up to you and say, Mom and Dad, can I wash the car? Please? Can I clean my room? I really need... Is it okay if I clean my room? Mom and Dad, can I set my own curfew? I'm going to come in at 9 (laughs) o'clock. If you've got one of those, I don't know what to tell you. But most of us have little fleshly creatures running around our house. And in some cases, little fleshly human beings that are the mother and father also. He's trying to make it clear. John 3, we have the flesh and we have the spirit. And they run in direct opposition to each other. They have a very, very difficult time living together. And that's why this, he mentions this death all of the time. Because they can't really live together. There has to be a decision to separate those two. Look at verses 15 through 17. Some of my favorite scriptures are right here. He goes, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. Now, don't take that wrong, because we could say, well, it's not me, I'm not doing it. It's just a, you know, it's a sin that dwells in me, so I'm not guilty. And then just do whatever we want. That's not what this means. That's not what this means. He's pointing out this war. That every time you open your eyes, and probably you don't know it, but in your sleep, you're still going through this war. 
but that we as Christians, this war that we're involved in, and Paul's describing this war between his flesh and his spirit. Now the Apostle Paul, right, our hero, he's saying, I've got this war going on, this dichotomy inside of my life. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. Now, guys, I would venture to say that every single one of you in here that's born again, you face this. And you may have faced it already. You may have faced it this morning. You may face it when you get up in the morning. But in your heart and in your spirit, you want to do the things that God would want you to do. And you really want to be able to do them all the time, consistently. And yet there's this other, you guys remember the cartoons, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. That's what Paul is trying to show and trying to prove. He's saying sin dwells in him. The Apostle Paul? Yeah. And it dwells in us. It dwells in us. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, for I know... Now this, I love this. For this is humility. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. And I know we're fighting it right now, right? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm nice. And I'm, let's finish what he has to say. He says, I know that nothing dwells in me. Nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. When was the last time you had a fight with a spouse or a friend or somebody who cut you off on the freeway? Do you think there was a good in you at that time? Probably not. Have you ever been at a place where the absolute worst just came pouring out of you, though you still love Jesus? Of course you have. Some of you are more mild-mannered than others. But there's been those times when things come out and and when it's all done, you go, what did I just do? I know better than that. I know better than to have that attitude or that heart or to do... I know better than that. I know I'm not supposed to do that. And then that usually follows with, Jesus, I'm sorry. Give me the strength, give me the power not to do that again. Or take this anger away or whatever it is, Lord. Just, I know what the right thing to do is. I want to do the right thing, but I'm not doing it. That's what Paul's saying. Let me give you an example. Anybody in here ever been on a diet? You guys just don't want to raise your hands. I've dieted all my life, right? You lose a few, it comes back with friends. You lose a few, it comes back with friends. And you can, you can actually be dieting for a long period of time. You know, they used to say you do something for 30 days or whatever, you've mastered it. That's a lie. That's not true. Because you can be on a diet for a year You can be on a low-carb diet or some other kind of diet, and you can be on it for a year, and all of a sudden, one day, you're just going through the checkout line, and whoa. You know, Costco, look at those pies. Look at those cakes. Look at that Pepsi. Look at that Mountain Dew. Look at that. Now, you know, you know that you know that you know that you know that you know or you're not supposed to do it. And then we start telling ourselves lies. I'll get back on track tomorrow. I'll just have one piece and I'll throw the rest in the trash. No, no, no. You're going to eat that whole cake. 
or at least half of it. If that's not a living example of good people who love Jesus still having a sin nature, I don't know what is. We mean well. We want to do well. And sometimes we can go for long periods of time where we're doing really well. But that one never leaves. That sin nature is there and we will find ourselves fighting it our whole life. I'm convinced that the closer you draw to Jesus, the more you'll fight it. Because if you're distant from Jesus, Satan doesn't care. You're distant from Jesus. You're not doing anything. You're not doing any good. You're not serving. You're not, you, you know what I mean? You're not really doing anything. You're not proactive in the things of Jesus. So Satan, just leave him alone. Let him, <laughs> let him do whatever they want. But if you're proactive in your walk with Jesus, you're doing your best to, to, to live for the Lord. That voice is going to be really loud sometimes. But if I'm doing the very thing, verse 20, if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Well, don't use that as an excuse. Don't say, well, it's not really me doing it, it's sin. Well, yeah, you're allowing the sin. We're allowing the sin in our life. 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Yep, I concur. To me, that statement is monumental. We have this thing called a sin nature. You have people who will tell you, oh, you don't have no sin nature. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We are born into sin. And it wars against our spirit to get us to sin, to satisfy our flesh, even though with our hearts we really want to serve the Lord. I've talked to so many people who love Jesus and they go, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I try the best I can to show them love and grace and mercy because we all do to one degree or another. We all do. And you know that that person loves Jesus. You know that they're trying. Maybe at times trying harder than other times, but they're trying. They love Jesus. But we will never overcome that flesh giving into it. But we need to know that we've been forgiven in Jesus. We need to know that. Look at verse 22 and 23. For I joyfully concur that with the law of God in the inner man, I concur with that. But I see a different law in the members of my body, the way I live it out. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, guys, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I did, I think a lot of hands would go up and you'd say, I feel exactly like this sometimes. I feel exactly like this sometimes. Now, I could take a turn here and make us all feel guilty, but that's not what Jesus did. We know we're guilty, right? But here's the beautiful part. Jesus separates that. Jesus cures that problem. Did he do it by making more laws? No, he did it by showing you love and mercy and grace. By going to the cross in your place. 
satisfying all that was required of the law so that you and I can live with grace. Look at what Paul says here in Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am. In other words, you know what he's saying? I'm miserable. There's times in my life when I'm absolutely miserable. And he knows he's speaking to his brethren, the Jews, who feel the same way. And he says, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, my flesh serves the sin. Guys, that's just, a, that's just us. None of us better than anyone else. That is the, the world we live in as Christians to be in the world but not a part of it. And that's not easy. So if you've had these struggles, take a deep breath and relax. Not relax and giving in to sin, but take a deep breath and relax knowing that Jesus loves you. And he will give us the power and the strength to do what is right. And when we stand before God, we're not gonna go, well, I, I, I really, you know, I, uh. we're gonna say, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. The enemy's going to come and he's going to try to condemn and Jesus is going to say, Dad, that one's mine. That one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into my rest because of his son, not because of us. Because of what he's done, not because of what we have done. Now, let me give you a couple more verses and we'll close this out. He's going to give us a little bit more direction of keeping that flesh under the Lord's control. In Romans 12, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only thing that can do that is the word of God, fellowship with other Christians, all of that, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verses In chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Think about other people and give preference to them. Not lagging behind in diligence. Be fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes we as Christians, we got that completely reversed. We weep with those who rejoice. Oh, you got a new car? (laughs) Yeah, if I didn't tithe, I could have one too. Oh, you got a new house? Yeah, you're probably doing something wrong. Should be, man, praise God that you were able to do that. Praise the Lord, God has blessed you in that way. And when someone's weeping, weep with them. Sometimes a hug with no words means the world to someone. 
It's not always the, the preaching. It's not always just throwing scriptures at them. Sometimes it's just crying with them. So rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. What does that mean? Think you're better than somebody else. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do everything you can to live at peace with people. Do what you gotta do. Humble yourself if you need to, even if you're not the one that made the mistake. You can still apologize for the division that's, that it's caused, no matter what it is. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for God to work. If you're gonna get your pound of flesh, God doesn't need to do anything. Just leave it alone. Let God take care of it. God will take care of it, and you'll probably take care of it with a lot more love and a lot more mercy and a lot more grace than you and I would. We want our pound of flesh, but God wants them to know him. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God for what is written. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Wow, now we got him. Now we got him. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. And uh, I've read in several places that what that means is a lot of times in a community they had a central fire in the center of town. And they tried to keep that burning all the time. And they would go from their homes out to the central fire and take coals out of that and put it on kind of like a, a big dish, right? And most of the times it was the women. And they would come out and take those and they would put coals in that dish and hold that and take that back to their house and create their own fire so that they could cook and take care of the things that need to be done. So what this means is that you're loading those coals for somebody else. You're helping them. You're not hurting them but you're helping them to make their life just a little bit easier. And then finally in verse 21 it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with with good. 